lecture eleven on patience in prayer because thou hast kept the word of my patience i will keep thee from the hour of temptation apocalypse chapter three verse ten when we reflect on the inconstancy of the mind and the instability of the will we have most painful proofs of the weakness of human nature restless as the weathercock on the steeple the mind shifts from point to point incapable when left to its own nature of dwelling long on any subject without many deviations and distractions the cause of this infirmity is not so much the mind itself as the restlessness of the senses the petulance of the imagination the waywardness of curiosity and impatience of the conditions of each present moment the will is shaken from its constancy and stability by the same causes and by the continual changes which our feelings undergo every movement around us every voice that speaks to us produces some change in us the eye of the soul is now here now there her affections are now up now down she is too weak to hold on her course without being in a greater or less degree affected and turned about by every varying attraction that brings its influence to bear upon her tremulous mobility such is human nature left to its native infirmity and without the discipline of the virtues this restless inconstancy gives melancholy evidence that we are not firmly united with the object for which we were created for whatever has obtained its end is at peace through being united with that end and is at rest from perturbations and from wanderings without reasonable purpose it is clear that what the soul most needs is some steadying power that will not only give stability to the mind and will but a preservation of the balance of stability by resistance to whatever would disturb it but as the object of such a power is to heal the weakness which causes this instability it is evident that it cannot be looked for within our nature but must come from one who is by nature strong constant and unchangeable this power is the grace and virtue of christian patience which strengthens and steadies the will and through the will the mind and all the powers hence all things weak within us look to patience for their remedy this virtuous power strengthens and unites in us what weakness disunites and dissipates but as that which is weak is strengthened by resting on what is strong the soul is made strong by resting with her interior centre upon the strengthening power of god be thou o my soul subject to god for from him is my patience psalm sixty one verse six as god is above us and we beneath to be subject to god is to rest on him that is to be united with him what is restless by nature can only be made calm and peaceful by union with what is calm and peaceful we obtain peace from our troubles by union with the god of peace it is good for me to adhere to god 
to set my hope on the lord god psalm 72 verse 28 as we can only obtain stability of mind and heart by union with what is unchangeable our soul obtains stability by union with the unchangeable god the principle of that union is charity and god has placed the power of patience in the gift of charity that we may be able to adhere with our spirit to him in a firm stable and patient love charity is patient whatever is created is made for an object and an end which is different from itself from which it receives its fullness peace and perfection god has created us for himself and only by union with god can we receive our fullness peace and perfection this union we seek in prayer and obtain through prayer and by prayer we prepare ourselves for our eternal union with god for the final end of prayer as of all good works is our eternal union with god in his beatifying vision it is therefore of great importance to understand what we ought to put into our prayer for the value and merit of our good works depend less on their show than on the spirit and virtue put into them it has been accurately observed in human actions that god looks less to the verbs than to the adverbs that is to the spirit and manner in which we do our actions to the virtues we put into them and cassian says with great truth that we come to the perfection of prayer with the construction of all the virtues for unless they are collected and compacted in the elevation of prayer they can in no wise be firm or enduring in their stability this is a great light it shows that not only must the virtues enter into prayer be united in prayer and blended together in prayer but that it is in prayer they receive their stability for the performance of other good works the first condition of prayer is attention the second is humility whereby the soul is opened and made subject to god the third is faith in god and trust that he will hear our prayer and grant us according to his promises the fourth is the love of god which makes our prayer generous and acceptable the fifth is obedience to the interior movements of the holy spirit the sixth is patience and as attention wholly depends on patience this virtue should be present throughout every good prayer not only to keep our mind firm and steady to the presence of god but also that the soul may adhere to him in faith hope and love hence that most enlightened and experienced guide of souls father lewis of granada tells us that patience is not only necessary but is marvellously necessary for obtaining and preserving the fruits of prayer let us consider what attention is and what it is in prayer taken literally the word attention signifies a stretching forth we stretch forth the ear to listen the eye to see and the mind to understand as an interior act attention is the act of directing and applying the mind to some special object presented to our thoughts 
attention in prayer is the stretching forth and applying the mind to god and to divine things it is evident that this action of the mind depends upon the energy of the will which both directs and applies the mind to its object it is equally obvious that our attention will be generous in proportion to our detachment from sensual self-love the mind tends to god by command of the will and takes heed of what we see think feel and say to him perfect attention in prayer excludes attention to whatever belongs not to that duty this attention ought to be humble loving trusting free peaceful patient and persevering the hindrances to fixed steadfast and patient attention are well known to be numerous but they are by no means the same to all persons for the power of attention is gained as the fruit of habitual recollection those souls that have disciplined themselves into habits of recollection obtain the patient possession of themselves and the custody of their mind and heart frees their attention from many impediments some again are by nature of a firmer and less irritable texture than others and respond more readily to that grace of patience which sustains and protects attention let us enumerate the chief hindrances that interfere with recollection and attention in prayer not in detail that would be impracticable but in their kinds and we shall find that they are all conquered by patience the first hindrance to attention is the restlessness of the body with its nerves in constant play and its senses in unpeaceful movement unless the will has obtained patience to disregard the restless emotions of the body and to keep the attention abstracted from them they will make the mind restless and the attention unsteady the patient mind attends to god and to her prayer and refuses to be disturbed by the animal feelings which cease to trouble when the soul is not with them restlessness of body arises from various causes one of which is the very quietude of posture in prayer and the greater consciousness of any movement in that quietude another is due to the habit of giving too much attention of mind to the sensual feelings at all times which greatly fosters their power over the mind another may arise from intemperance of diet which is apt to cause local irritability as well as weakness in the mental powers another cause is want of habitual control of temper which disposes the soul to fret at small things and disturbs the tranquillity of the senses sometimes when the body is in a state of restlessness a change of position will give considerable relief some who are by nature restless are best able to think and reflect when in motion but holy souls who are truly patient will not even allow great sufferings of body to interfere with their recollection except to bring them closer to god but if the soul is distracted from attention by only moderate irritation in the earthly frame there can be no true patience in the will for true patience adheres to the object of prayer 
regardless for the time of all inferior things the second hindrance to attention is from the imagination this volatile and many-coloured intruder is excellent in its place as the servant of truth and is the first help to meditation and when rightly used gives much instruction and delight but it is also the chief cause of our distractions wanderings from attention and delusions there is nothing that the uncontrolled imagination will not at times protrude upon the recollection of devout attention from mere flitting distractions to gross images of vice as the imagination is closely connected with the senses from which its action originates it is apt to cause disturbance in the senses as well as the mind and even to awaken passions such as resentment or sadness when again the subtle movements of self-love gain entrance into the imagination not only is the attention diverted from god to self but the imagination becomes imbued with the vanities of self-love and will bring that self with its petty interests before the mind in a way to eclipse the light of prayer but when these disturbing shadows are first perceived it is the duty of patience to increase the energy of attention and to adhere with greater application to the object of prayer leaving these distractions to fall away for want of notice the third hindrance to attention is the intrusion of things from the memory that have no proper connection with prayer these ordinarily come though not always through the medium of the imagination they are caused by association of ideas and frequently by association of contraries which are sometimes painful as well as troublesome when these memories are connected with ourselves or with our external pursuits or with any one towards whom we have strong feelings of any kind unless the mind holds on with patience they have much power to distract attention distractions from the memory or the imagination become very troublesome if the least importance is attached to them if the soul yields to any anxiety about them they may at times take shadowy forms that seem to touch faith or to sound like blasphemy or even touch on purity yet this in pious souls will be nothing perhaps but the mechanical association of what is directly contrary to the desires of the soul to attend to such suggestions to be anxious about them to attach any importance to them is to give them a power of troubling and tormenting which they have not in themselves the effective way of treating such intrusions on attention is to adhere with patience to god to help that adhesion with active aspirations and utterly to disregard them when the mind perseveres in attention to the divine object of prayer despite of accidental perturbations the soul cannot become engaged with herself and those intrusive images dissolve and vanish for want of attention to nourish them to be anxious about them is to give them entertainment this enables them to trouble both recollection and peace and so the end of the tempter is gained 
it is of great importance to understand that where evil spirits tempt us they have no power allowed them except on the corporal senses and the imagination they cannot act in the substance of the soul without the soul's consent it is equally important to understand that though the imagination acts on the mind it has its origin from the corporal senses when this was explained to saint teresa it became an epoch of light in her spiritual life she then understood how to manage her imagination and what degree of importance was to be attached to that which st paul calls the spirit of the flesh there are celebrated pictures by great artists which profess to represent the temptations of st antony the hermit whilst in prayer and some of them are widely known by engravings properly understood these pictures give a valuable instruction they represent in visible shapes the solicitations and temptations with which the imagination besets the mind in prayer some of these figures are grave others refined and seductive others grotesque and ridiculous but whilst these creatures of the imagination seek to attract the attention of the saint to allure him from recollection or to dissipate his prayer by their charms illusions antics or seductions the saint himself kneels with his whole soul concentrated on god his features exhibit the strain upon his fortitude and there is a consciousness of the siege with which his soul is beset but his patience does not waver his will holds his attention with steadfastness towards god and refuses to be diverted even for an instant from the object of his prayer he has mastered these solicitations he has mastered the ridiculous he has mastered the anxieties of temptation and distraction and that simply and solely by adhering to god with patience the fourth hindrance to attention is a very subtle one and the more mischievous because it springs directly from self-love so long as the soul abides in the humble sense of her nothingness before god and looks to him with patient confidence as the giver of all she stands in need of temptation will slide off and leave her prayer uninjured but if the soul begins to lose sight of what she is before god and departing from her humility takes delight in what she fancies the success of her prayer her attention will secretly glide off from god to herself a shadow of that imaginary self will come between her real self and god and though it may not efface the divine presence from her mind it will nevertheless obscure that holy presence whilst it will raise the spirit of self-conceit self-love and vanity will come into action and show themselves in petty fancies and weak sentimentalities there may be industrious compositions of sentences and other dressings of vanity making a silly display before god for one's own entertainment just as vain people do in their conversation with their neighbours this loquacious prayer of self-love is very offensive 
it is an example of that much speaking which our lord rebuked in the prayer of the heathens who thought much of themselves and little of god the prayer in spirit and in truth moves not from self-love but from the grace of the holy spirit and moves towards god with love and veneration it consists not in fine words or pleasant poetry but is penetrated with the power and goodness of god and with the sense of our own lowliness poverty and want when the heart is truly touched with light and grace and subdued into earnest desire the soul will express herself in the simplest words springing without art or effort from the spirit that moves within this is the prayer of humble fervour which is not easily distracted because of its patience and simplicity but the prayer which is corrupted by the vanity of self-love invites distraction can such a prayer be pleasing to god not when we are in labour with our vanity he has said to whom shall i have respect but to him that is poor and little and of a contrite spirit and that trembleth at my words isaiah chapter sixty six verse two and the proverb says his will is in them that walk in simplicity proverbs chapter eleven verse twenty the moment this vain spirit is detected everything should give way to profound humiliation before god and to a deep sense of shame at having thus behaved in the divine presence whoever is subject to this infirmity will find in it the proof of an unmortified will and such a one should not only begin prayer with an act of profound humility and subjection to god but should repeat that act from time to time in the course of prayer this should be accompanied with the consideration of one's nothingness before god who sees through all our weaknesses and who demands of the fallen creature humility before all things and the simplicity of a helpless child in the presence of his creator at the end of prayer he should consider how he has yielded to presumption or has borne himself with single-hearted simplicity that he may ask pardon where he has erred from vanity or conceit the fifth hindrance to attention arises from confusion of mind there are some persons who at certain times know not where to begin or how to pursue their prayer they flounder in confusion of mind from beginning to end in such cases recourse should be had to a book and that book should be used freely not only as a guide but as a support to reflection there are few persons who cannot meditate on the passion of christ and they can have nothing better this state of mind requires a great deal of patience when the mind can do nothing else the will can always wait on god which with patience is an excellent prayer but when the mind cannot meditate the heart can always use simple aspirations which are the very essence of prayer but the greatest cause of mental confusion is scrupulosity which greatly impedes the freedom of the mind scrupulosity is a real malady it has its seat in the imagination 
and it gravely affects the action of the will as well as of the judgment it is a kind of mania ruled by the fixed image of sin which oversways the balance of the judgment so that the just distinction between right and wrong is no longer discerned in our acts or thoughts as a person suffering from jaundice has his eyes so filled with yellow bile that everything he looks upon seems tinted with that colour so the scrupulous person has his mental sight so filled with the image and fear of sin that it hangs like a phantom before his eyes and seems to give its colour to all his acts hence he attaches the notion of sin to his most innocent thoughts and actions and lives in constant dread that what he does is sinful and this more especially in his acts of piety in some persons this malady is constitutional and may be detected by a person of spiritual discernment by external signs in others the trial is only temporary it is obvious from the nature of this malady that those who suffer from it cannot be judges in their own cause for the disease affects the judgment itself which is unable to decide except on the judgment of another where there is pride and that is seldom absent there is great obstinacy of will and this makes the malady much more difficult to cure there is but one remedy for this suffering state of soul and that is absolute and implicit obedience to the spiritual physician when the physician pronounces that the patient is suffering from scrupulosity the first and indispensable duty of the sufferer is to believe that such is the case although the scrupulous person may neither see nor understand how that can be for unless the patient trusts the physician the cure cannot be effected the second duty of the scrupulous is to faithfully follow the few and simple rules given by the director for its cure however unreasonable they may appear to the disordered judgment of the sufferer that judgment may be perfectly sound in every other respect excepting where there is question of sin or of the imagination and dread of sin when this malady gives rise to disquiet and anxiety disturbing to the peace of prayer the sufferer should seek special direction as to the kind of prayer most suited to the case and as to the conduct to be pursued in prayer it will greatly encourage the obedience of the scrupulous if they will assure themselves that they are only responsible to god for their obedience and that the director is responsible for all that is enjoined to them the sixth hindrance to attention in souls not already purified by trials is dryness of heart when the affections lose their pleasant sensibilities and find that their enjoyment is gone the soul is liable to become anxious and uneasy and to imagine that something serious she knows not what is wrong within her and that god is not with her this anxiety is much increased if there be obscurity or darkness in the mind as well as dryness in the heart accustomed to the light refreshment and consolation of prayer when deprived of them the soul is inclined to lose courage 
to become occupied with herself and with her changed feelings and not unfrequently yields herself to sadness which greatly relaxes attention to god and brings an uneasy apprehension about her state she has yet to learn the stronger and less selfish virtues of prayer and however well instructed in theory to discover in practice that there are far greater rewards of prayer than its actual and present enjoyment what is the faith that swims in light compared with that strong and energetic faith which adheres to god and his truth when the soul is surrounded with dark clouds and obscurations it is a noble courage to believe that god is still present hearing our prayers and providing their reward notwithstanding the darkness that hides his presence from us blessed are they who have not seen and have believed st john chapter twenty verse twenty nine what is the hope that enjoys the foretaste of the promises compared with that unbounded confidence that cleaves to god with undiminished trust when everything wears the appearance of discouragement this was the patient trust of holy job tortured in body overwhelmed with darkness and dryness of spirit assaulted with fears and perplexities he exclaimed amidst his sorrows and privations even though he should kill me i will trust in him but yet i will reprove my ways in his sight job chapter thirteen verse fifteen the psalms of david are the voice of a soul that frequently alternates between light and obscuration between consolation and desolation between delight in god and fear of self and they are written for our instruction when trial comes what is the conduct of the prophet of souls he adheres to god with hope he abides with him in patience he is subject to god and prays to him he awaits with fortitude the coming of god st paul knew how to abound and how to suffer loss he has humbly recorded the alternations of his soul even to the humiliation that he suffered lest he should be lifted up with the greatness of his revelations for which thing he says thrice i besought the lord that it might depart from me and he said to me my grace is sufficient for thee for power is perfected in infirmity what then did the apostle knowing the will of god he troubled himself no more but patiently bore the trial gladly therefore will i glory in my infirmities that the power of christ may dwell in me for which cause i please myself in my infirmities 2 corinthians chapter 12 verses 8 through 10 we read the lives of the saints of all ages and find that they had their times of refreshment and their times of interior trial and desolation and were deeply conscious of their infirmities but what truly distinguishes them was the simple faith the confident trust and the untiring patience with which they adhered to god in every trial and every state of feeling indifferent to all but the will of god and his sanctifying influences what is the charity that loves god with a sweet sense of love 
compared with that greater charity in which though without the sense of enjoyment our desires of god are sent forth to him with greater earnestness god measures our love by our desires and not by the refreshment with which he sometimes rewards them consolation is not prayer but an encouragement given to the weakness of souls prayer is the strongest fullest of virtue and obtains the greatest reward in eternity when our desires ascend to god and our adoration is given to him without regard to greater consolation than it pleases god to give us what is the patience of a soul in which all goes pleasantly on the path of prayer and when she has only to exclude what interferes with recollection compared with that firm and constant patience that adheres to god amidst obscurity and desolation this strong meat is not given to the babes of spiritual life but to those who are chosen for great rewards in eternity this severe diet purifies the affections from what is sensual feeble irritable or selfish in them and strengthens the virtues with a view to their perfection the rewards of prayer are given to its humility its patience its charity and purity let no one mistake present consolation for the great reward the first is a grace given to the soul to encourage her to labour for the eternal reward when prayer is pure it looks more to god and less to present enjoyment when prayer is patient it abides more steadfastly with god waits upon his will and is less attentive to one's inward perturbations this dry prayer is generous and most peaceful when most patient the great final reward to which all prayers should be directed is god himself if it please god that the soul should have her winter as well as her summer season this is a divine policy and a spiritual providence for just as the providence of god sends the bracing cold the rainy clouds and cleansing winds to prepare the earth that its fruits may gush forth in the summer so are these trials ordained to brace the soul to purify the heart and eradicate the weeds of self-love to make the spirit strong in fortitude and patience and to change our soft habits into a more vigorous constitution of life hence in the language of theology these trials are called purgations either purgations of sense or purgations of the intellect or purgations of the will purgation of the sense is effected by that drying up of the affections by which we learn that spiritual consolation comes not from oneself but is the gift and encouragement of the holy spirit who both gives and takes it away this trial also purifies the spiritual affections from whatever is sensual or savouring of self-love that has got mixed with them they thus become more purely spiritual and when consolation returns it is felt more in god and less in oneself the purgation of the intellect is effected by that withdrawing of divine light which leaves the soul in obscurity except in what regards the light of conscience 
and the soul more clearly sees that this light is in the hand of god to give or take away we put many images of vanity into that light and many reflections of self-love and make the holy light a mirror in which to admire our own mental efforts forgetting that it is by god's gift of light that we believe and think and obtain knowledge and understanding but when darkness comes upon the mind we find ourselves out we see that our light comes from god and that by no labor of our own can we produce a single ray of its illumination we are left to faith and to the light of justice needful to guide us on our way and we learn how insignificant our mental efforts are without the light of god the pride of intellect is mortified and humbled the intellect itself is purified of its vanities and conceits and from the reflected images of self-love and when the cheering light returns it comes more serene into a purer mind so that we make our prayer and conduct our mental operations with truer dependence on the divine illumination thus the intellect is purged from pride and vanity that we may see the truths of god and the laws of wisdom with purer eyes and respond to them with greater fidelity the purgation of the will is effected by the crucifixion of our inordinate loves and desires this is accomplished by the sufferings privations and disappointments which the will has to endure in things that tend to god when the dispositions of the will have been thus purified from seeking their own way in the things of god and when the desires of nature have been cleansed away from impeding the will of god in that soul the soul accepts all privations and sufferings here below with indifference the gift of charity is purified from the interests of nature and self-seeking and divested of its accidental encumbrances the flame of divine love obtains an increase of purity and force of fortitude and patience that gives it wonderful capacity both for unity with god and for every good work it will become evident from these explanations that the chief virtues to be exercised in times of dryness darkness and interior suffering are patient faith patient hope and patient charity raised to the degree of fortitude we must endure for the love of god believing in his loving care for us wait in patience for the light of his countenance and persevere in our prayer but remember that it is with ourselves that we have to be patient the italians have a proverb that time and patience change the mulberry leaf into fine satin it is wonderful what time does for a soul when helped by patience patience with time matures everything god is the governor of your soul have patience with his mysterious ways and let him govern you a hundred have perseverance for one who has patience but without patience that perseverance is of a restless broken and unpeaceful kind devout surrender to the ways of god 
is the summit of patience the seventh hindrance to steadfast attention and recollection arises from the timidities fears and discouragements to which the soul gives way amidst the trials and desolations of prayer this repining fear is very different from the filial fear of god it is a sinking of hope and courage and the failure of the confidence that god is present and hears the desires of our heart these timid misgivings do not proceed from grace but from the weakness of nature deprived of consolation people who go through a great deal of patient labor and will endure privations with cheerfulness to obtain success in other things will often shrink from labor and endurance and lose their patience when what they ask of god is deferred they lose both heart and much of what they have already gained they will not reflect that god delays his graces to try their faith in him and their patience or for other beneficial reasons that he alone knows hence their attention is disturbed becomes divided between god and their own discomforts and is sometimes overwhelmed with the gloom and sadness of their discontented nature sometimes this goes further they imagine their own displeasure to be god's displeasure with them that he has abandoned them and that their prayer is displeasing to god and useless thus patience breaks down into melancholy and the soul becomes wholly occupied with self yet all this is but a mischievous delusion of which presumption is the origin and self-love the feeder this will show itself in various ways the imagination will wander away to other scenes in search of relief the soul will fancy that she could do better in some other place and under other conditions for one of the effects of this kind of discontent is to imagine that one is not in one's right vocation and might do better in some other forgetting that we carry ourselves with us wherever we go yet all this weakness comes from want of patience with ourselves but the question arises are we to do god's will or our own what will our own will profit us we are abundantly taught by holy scripture and the saints that the trials which god sends us are among his greatest benefits and we are quite ready to teach this truth to others under their trials but when it comes to our own case our self-love will not let us understand yet to remove self-love is that trial given us if we practically knew god's ways in the soul we should believe in them trust in them love them and patiently wait through the winter of trial for the returning spring but self-love is blind voracious for present enjoyment and sad and sorrowful when it is not granted the true question for the soul is this do we deserve it is it good for us and the answer is god knows in the eighty-seventh psalm king david puts before us the fear anxiety and desolation with which his soul is beset in his prayer he begins his prayer with earnest supplication 
o lord the god of my salvation i have cried in the day and in the night before thee he then compares his interior privations to those of a man who is buried in a sepulchre in the dark places and in the shadow of death yet with patient fortitude he perseveres in his prayer my eyes languished through poverty all the day i cried to thee o lord i stretched out my hands to thee and again he continues his prayer shall any one in the sepulchre declare thy mercy and thy truth in destruction shall thy wonders be known in the dark and thy justice in the land of forgetfulness but i o lord have cried to thee and in the morning my prayers shall prevent thee this is the inspired prayer of one whose attention to god is not destroyed by his fears and discouragements the prophet habakkuk begins his prophesying with a prayer of great desolation how long o lord shall i cry and thou wilt not hear shall i cry out to thee suffering violence and thou wilt not save habakkuk chapter one verse two but at the end of his dolorous prophecies his grief is rewarded and his words are joyful but i will rejoice in the lord and will joy in god my jesus the lord god is my strength and he will make my feet like the feet of hearts and he the conqueror will lead me on my high places singing psalms habakkuk chapter three verses eighteen and nineteen the true remedy for all these fears and discouragements is to adhere to god in the darkness and wait with patience the hour of deliverance then will god infuse a secret strength into the soul that will carry her through her trial wait on god with patience join thyself to god and endure that thy life may be increased in the latter end take all that shall be brought upon thee and in thy sorrow endure and in thy humiliation keep patience for gold is tried in the fire but acceptable man in the furnace of humiliation believe in god and he will recover thee and direct thy ways and trust in him ecclesiasticus chapter two verses two through six you will also find out the truth of the words of solomon better is the end of prayer than the beginning better is the patient man than the presumptuous one ecclesiastes chapter seven verse nine we must not forget that the will as well as the mind is liable to become fatigued not as their spiritual powers but in the corporal organs which they use hence in this our mortal state attention cannot be very long sustained on one subject without varying the method of attention the power of attention is very different in different persons and that for various reasons the difference of natural constitution the difference of the habits in which the soul has been trained and the greater or less degree in which the soul has been disciplined to patience the mind and its faculties should not be strained or weariness and dullness will be the consequence meditation which the fathers call investigation is more fatiguing than the aspirative prayer of the affections 
contemplation is less laborious because the movements of the mind are more simple but what really fatigues the mind is not tranquil prayer but any anxiety or sadness mixed with it when aspirative and effective prayer is mixed with meditation it is not only less fatiguing but more fruitful this will be particularly found in long retreats let any one who would feel the value of patient prayer take the our father or the creed or a hymn of the holy ghost and repeat it slowly and attentively with the heart on god and the mind on the sense of the prayer and he will find perhaps with some surprise how much more light will come to his mind how much more sweetness to his heart how much nearer he will feel himself to god than when these customary prayers are little better than gabbled without their full and solemn sense one our father thus meditatively recited with mind heart and patient attention will do more for the soul than several repetitions that are little better than verbal sometimes the mind will enter with affection into the sublime truths expressed sometimes the heart will use them as pious aspirations sometimes the soul will repose more fully on the divine presence sometimes she will examine herself by their light sometimes she will more definitely receive their influence in determining her conduct these solemn petitions will constantly bring new lights and new refreshments the spirit of god is in them and where is the spirit of the lord there is liberty in his moral exposition of the book of job st gregory the great has given us such a solid explanation of the value of interior trials that we gladly give his reflections at length the text on which the great pontiff builds his comment is the words of the messenger to job while thy sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the house of their elder brother a violent wind came on a sudden from the side of the desert and shook the four corners of the house and it fell upon thy children and they are dead and i alone have escaped to tell thee job chapter one verses eighteen and nineteen upon this st gregory observes that the interior house of the soul is built up in the four cardinal virtues and within are the other virtues children of the heart that mutually feed each other justice fortitude prudence and temperance frame a house for the spirit of god then the spirit of god prepares the house of the soul against her several trials by tempering her with seven virtues with wisdom against folly with understanding against stupidity with counsel against precipitation with fortitude against fear with knowledge against ignorance with piety against hard-heartedness and with the fear of the lord against pride yet sometimes whilst the soul is upheld in the plenteous abundance of the divine gift were that gift left constantly with us giving us always sweet enjoyment we should forget from whom the gift comes and think it our own it is therefore useful that sometimes this gift should be withdrawn to check our presumption 
and to show us how weak we are when we lose it for a time we learn to know whence our good comes and that we have not the power to keep it sometimes to teach us humility temptation rushes upon us and that with a violence that strikes our wisdom into folly not knowing how to deal with the temptation we become troubled as to how we can meet the pressure of evil but by this very folly the heart is taught prudence our momentary folly makes us more humble and therefore more truly wise and the wisdom lost in a manner for the time is henceforth held in greater security sometimes after the understanding has ascended to sublime things there comes a dull obtuseness that sinks the mind down to things low and vile and even inferior truths leave the mind that recently soared aloft on rapid wings yet this very stupidity that comes upon the temporary loss of the mental powers saves the understanding for the heart is humbled and is therefore more justly strengthened to understand what is truly sublime sometimes whilst rejoicing in the steady counsel that rules our actions there comes a crisis that hurries us into thoughtless precipitation so that whilst we imagine that all was well regulated within us our interior becomes devastated with confusion yet this very confusion teaches us to beware of ascribing our counsel to our own virtue and after we have returned to the gift of counsel that seemed lost we hold to that counsel with greater firmness sometimes whilst bravely despising adversities some new trouble beyond what we looked for comes upon us and the soul is struck with unusual fear yet after suffering this confusion the soul learns to whom she should ascribe the strength that sustains her under tribulations and in proportion to the danger she has incurred of losing her fortitude she will adhere more firmly to her divine strengthener sometimes whilst rejoicing in the knowledge of divine things the mind becomes torpid and struck as it were with blindness yet though the eye of the mind is closed in ignorance for a time it afterwards opens to true knowledge for this visitation of blindness instructs us in the right kind of knowledge and teaches us from whom true knowledge comes sometimes when all things seem to be disposed religiously within us and we congratulate ourselves on being filled with pious feelings a sudden hardness comes upon us yet whilst made sensible of the natural hardness of our heart we learn from whom we receive the gift of piety and after its partial extinction that piety returns more perfect and we love it the more for having lost it for a time sometimes when the soul is rejoicing in the holy fear of god she becomes suddenly stiffened with temptations to pride yet roused by the dread of losing the fear of god she bends down anew to humility and in proportion to her dread of losing a virtue so momentous she receives it back with greater solidity when the house of job was overwhelmed the seven sons died 
when the strong wind of temptation troubles the conscience for the gaining of self-knowledge the virtues born of the heart are overwhelmed yet those sons of the heart still live through the spirit within them although externally dead to the sensibilities for though the hour of trial troubles the virtues in a moment through the perseverance of right intention they live secure in the root of the soul with the sons of job their three sisters were overwhelmed when heavy trials come it will sometimes befall us that charity is troubled in the heart hope is shaken with alarm and faith is assaulted with questionings for at times our love of our creator will languish under the thought that we are made to suffer beyond our strength and yielding more to fear than we ought the confidence of our hope becomes enfeebled at times also the mind stretches to immense questions and faith suffers fatigue as though it were failing yet these daughters of grace are alive though they seem overwhelmed for when conscience seems to say that faith hope and charity have almost failed they are kept alive in the sight of god by the perseverance of right intention the servant who brought these tidings to job alone escaped amidst our great trials one thing remains safe and secure and that is the light and discretion by which we distinguish what is just from what is unjust in the wonderful dispensation under which we live the soul is stricken at times with the sense of guiltiness were a man never to feel his weakness he would imagine himself the lord of his powers but when shaken by the inrush of temptations he becomes fatigued beyond what suffices him there is shown him the fortress of humility where he will find an ample protection against his enemies and from the very fear that his weakness may bring him to a fall he receives a strength that enables him to stand with firmness he not only learns from his trials from whom he receives his power but knows with what watchfulness that power must be preserved often when temptation might be easily defeated in the combat the conceit of self-security brings him to a fall for when the soul is dissolved in idleness she becomes an easy prey to the corrupter but when the divine piety disposes in such a manner that temptation shall not rush with vehemence upon us but is only permitted to approach with moderated steps for our instruction this is granted that we may arm ourselves with caution against the coming foe and job said the lord hath given the lord hath taken away blessed be the name of the lord see how the trials of job instruct him in what he has received he confesses the bounty of god in what is taken from him to the perturbation of his fortitude he confesses the power of god yet fortitude itself is not taken from him it is only fatigued with perturbation from moment to moment his soul is shaken with the fear of losing it but growing ever more humble through that fear his humility saves him from losing his fortitude no one has treated the subject of patience in prayer and in the conduct of life 
with greater breadth clearness and fullness than saint catherine of siena and it must be remembered that in the decree of her canonization her doctrine was pronounced to have been not acquired but infused with a summary of what this profoundly enlightened saint dictated on the subject we will close this instruction she listens to the eternal truth and then speaks to souls in the old testament when sacrifice was offered to god there came a fire that drew the victim to him and made it acceptable so the sweet truth sends the fire of the holy spirit to draw to him the sacrifice of desire whereby the soul makes the oblation of herself to god and he says to the soul knowest thou not that all the pains thou endurest or canst endure in this life are insufficient to punish the least of thy sins an offence against god the infinite good requires an infinite satisfaction but all the pains sent thee in this life are not sent for punishment some are sent for the correction of the offending child this however is true that the soul can satisfy by her desires when they are accompanied with true contrition and displeasure of sin true contrition satisfies both for sin and punishment not because of the limited sufferings endured but because of the infinite desire of god which accompanies them for he who is infinite would have infinite love and infinite sorrow he would have infinite sorrow for the offence of god and also of our neighbour but souls have infinite desires when they are made infinite through their union with god in love and in grief for having offended him whatever sufferings they endure whether spiritual or corporal receive an infinite merit through being moved by the holy spirit of love although the acts themselves are limited in time and intensity the virtue of endurance prevails because it is accompanied by this infinite desire together with contrition and detestation of sin this truth is demonstrated by saint paul if i speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity i am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal and if i should have prophecy and should know all mysteries and have not charity i am nothing and if i should distribute all my goods to feed the poor and if i should deliver my body to be burned and have not charity it profiteth me nothing 1 corinthians chapter 13 verses 1 through 3 the glorious apostle thus demonstrates that no limited acts or sufferings can satisfy unless seasoned with the unlimited desires of charity every virtue has life and avails through jesus christ the only begotten son of god crucified and avails as far as the soul draws love from him with which to follow his steps in the virtues in this way they avail and in no other in this way sufferings satisfy for sin that is from the sweet and unitive love obtained from the sweet knowledge of the divine goodness and through bitter contrition of heart derived from the knowledge of thyself and thy sins 
this knowledge produces hatred of self of sin and of sensuality the effect of which is to account oneself deserving of suffering and undeserving of consolation thou seest then how by contrition of heart by love of patience and by true humility thy sufferings should be borne with patience through humility whilst thou accountest thyself worthy of suffering and unworthy of consolation thou wilt then ask to suffer as a satisfaction for thy offences against thy creator and wilt desire to know the sovereign truth that thou mayest love him but the way to gain perfect knowledge and to taste the eternal truth is this that thou never depart from the knowledge of thyself but abide in the valley of humility where thou shalt know god within thee and shalt draw from that knowledge what is needful for thee no virtue can have life without charity nor without humility which is the nurse of charity thou shalt humble thyself in the knowledge of thyself and shalt see that thy being is not from thyself but from god who loved thee before thou wast and through unspeakable love recreated thee in grace and washed thee and recreated thee in the blood of his only begotten son shed with great fire of love this love makes the truth known to every one who but lifts the cloud of self-love from off him through self-knowledge then will the soul ascend to the knowledge of god with unspeakable love yet this love will keep the soul in continual suffering because it is a love that sorrows in the knowledge of the truth and suffers exceedingly because of one's sins and ingratitude and because of the blindness of those who love not god yet this is not an afflicting sorrow not a sorrow that withers the soul but an enriching sorrow the soul thus satisfies for her sins and for the sins of the other servants of god and her sufferings may suffice because she receives the fruits of life through the virtue of charity patience is the queen of the soul she is seated on the rock of fortitude she conquers and is never conquered this virtue is the marrow of charity by its presence we know whether the garment of charity with which we are clothed is the true nuptial garment or not if this garment have rents in it it is an imperfect garment and impatience will escape through the rents the other virtues may be for a time concealed or may seem to be perfect when in reality they are imperfect but thou o patience canst not be hidden let this sweet patience this marrow of charity be in the soul and it will demonstrate that all the other virtues are there and living in perfection but if patience be absent that absence will show that all the other virtues are imperfect and not yet united to the most holy cross patience is conceived of self-knowledge through the knowledge of god's infinite goodness is born of self-hatred and is anointed with true humility nothing is refused to the virtue of patience neither the honour of god nor the salvation of souls it enjoys them continually 
look at the glorious martyrs how many souls were given to their patience death brought them life they raised the dead they drove mortal sin away from souls the world exhibited its grandeur the lords of the world put forth their power yet they could not prevail against the martyrs so strong were they in the sweet power of patience this virtue is a light placed on a candlestick it is the glorious fruit of tears united with the love of god and of our neighbour it partakes of the immaculate lamb with anxious and crucified desires the pain suffered by this virtue is not afflicting even though suffered for the offences committed against our divine creator because loving patience destroys all fear and self-love it is consoling because founded in charity it brings joy because it is the demonstrative proof that god dwells by grace in the soul impatience springs from one of two causes from spiritual death when the soul is in mortal sin from imperfection of life when the root of self-love is not mortified those imperfect souls live by grace but they are tender about themselves sensitive from sensuality and have a soft compassion for their own weakness they expect other people to compassionate them and suffer when they are not compassionated this leads them to murmuring and to judging the wills of other persons all this comes from self-love and impatience is the proof of it they love their own way and what tongue can tell the troubles of self-will in these self-willed persons the eye of the understanding is obscured their faith the very pupil of the eye is clouded with self-love and they are unfaithful to their light the impatience that follows makes them disobedient this weakens their judgment and this again leads them to murmuring although they live in grace their souls are imperfect their self-love obscures their sight and their virtues are imperfect for they accept not the discipline of god with patience nor even with becoming reverence nor with the love which god has given them they do not properly understand that what god sends them or permits is for their sanctification and is consequently to be accepted with gratitude but this disobedience to god's will results from pride which chooses to serve god in their own way and not in his way for if we believed in very truth that everything except sin proceeds from god and that he wills nothing but what is for our good a truth we taste in the blood of christ crucified did we believe this in very truth and were not warped from it by this tenderness for ourselves we should be reverentially obedient and accept whatever god sends us and should judge that what he sends us is sent in love and for our good but because we are unfaithful to this belief we suffer pains and troubles and become impatient under the pains that we suffer impatience is the habitual outcome of infidelity to what god ordains for us we can see this in others and can be disedified with it 
such persons can be quite content that superiors should direct things in their own way as a rule but they are pained and troubled if their own private ways are contradicted whence comes all this pain if they had no conflict between their nature and their living grace they would not suffer but they are weak and their infirmity is owing to their not having patience in their charity instead of humbling themselves beneath the mighty hand of god and receiving as they can do what comes from him they will have their pains and fatigues at a time in a place and in a way that they choose for themselves if they cannot pay their debt of duty like other people they should at least pay their debt of patience god requires nothing of us beyond what we are able to do but he always requires charity and always requires patience to endure the pains and toils that he sends us o patience how delightful thou art to those who have thee what hope thou bringest to those who possess thee thou art the sovereign of the soul thou art the corrector of sensuality but let anger or impatience appear and with the two-edged sword of hatred and love anger is cut down pride is severed away by the roots and impatience is made to vanish clothed in thy garment of self-knowledge as with sunlight and casting keen rays of ardent charity on those who would injure thee thou heapest coals of fire on their heads in the might of self-knowledge thou art begirt with the virtues as with the stars of heaven and after the night of self-knowledge comes the day of great light and the sun's high fervour clothing thee in beautiful robes who then will not love this beautiful patience that endures all things for christ crucified where shall we find this valiant virtue of patience we shall find it says st catherine where we find charity and find it in the same way we shall find it in the blood of christ crucified where amidst the torments of the cross no murmur is heard but that of prayer and pardon there shall we find the patience that bears all our iniquities and infirmities and that gives the grace of patience to all who live in that blood we shall find it in the blood that is embraced and possessed by the eternal divinity to whom adhering the soul is filled with the holy fire of charity and with the patience by which that blood was shed we shall find that patience in the unspeakable love with which god has loved us and with which he has endured us